0: up you all welcome to my black book journal powered by act Jesse love mercy again i took a much needed break throughout the summer but i wanted to drop the second sermon uh that i got had an opportunity to preach this summer i'll drop one more and then starting in september i'll be back with new episodes so i hope you enjoy this second sermon that i had an opportunity to preach this summer. all right peace Thank you. All right, let's jump into it. This morning, Richard Campbell to him was like, I don't know, I'm preaching on Anna this morning. He was like, it's not a lot there, my brother. So uh, I could probably, he said, I could probably do that one in two minutes. Uh, I'm dramatic, so I can make a mountain out of a molehill. (laughs) So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. The book of Luke chapter 2, specifically verses 36 through 38. But we're going to take a bit of a broader look at the book of Luke. Looking at the life of Anna. You all know I had the opportunity to preach to you in June, and I share with you that within this broader theme of cast of characters, I wanted to take some time during the times that I was uh, given the preach and share a mini-series within that about generational blessing, generational blessing. And I share it with you all about how Rahab's yes to God led to generations being blessed through her sacrifice. Today I'd like to talk to you uh, from the life of Anna about my topic today, my theme, generational stewardship. I believe that by taking a look at this woman's life, we will learn what it means to hope and hold on to the promises of God, to fight for the purposes, promises, and people of God through faithfulness, spiritual warfare, and ministry and service. Let's read verses 36 and 38 through 38 together. It says, "There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel." of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking for, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word for it is life. We know that people cannot live by bread alone, but by the words that proceed out of your mouth, Father God. Your, Your word, Father, is truth. Father, so speak to your people this morning. We desire to hear what you have to say. Strengthen your vessel, Father God, just to deliver your word. Would you be glorified, Father, in all I say and do? Jesus, would you be magnified, and would you reveal yourself to your people and with clarity? God, would you call us to yourself this morning? would we hear you speaking to us very clearly? God, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I read those three verses, but in order to fully understand what's going on, I have to give you a little context. So let's let's go back and rewind to verse twenty one and see exactly what is going on that call that introduces us to Anna. Verse twenty one through twenty four says When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, speaking about Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle turtledoves or two young pigeons. So what Mary and Joseph are doing is after 40 days have passed, right? So there was, according to the law of the Lord, after eight days, they were to circumcise this son and then give him that name. But 33 days after those eight days, they were then to travel to Jerusalem. It was the firstborn male. They were to travel and make a sacrifice to dedicate this child to the Lord. That's what we learn in the book of Leviticus chapter 12. So they traveled to Jerusalem, and they go and they make their sacrifice to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. Now, there's a couple things that really jumped out at me that I think I wanted to highlight for a moment. One of those things is that in the book of Leviticus chapter 12, it gives guidelines for what you're supposed to do, what type of sacrifice you're supposed to offer when you're dedicating your firstborn son. It says you can offer a sheep, but It also says this, But if she doesn't have sufficient means for a sheep, she may take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Then the priest will make atonement on her behalf, and she will be clean. Something that jumps out to me, just to understand this context, is that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. They could not even afford a sheep to sacrifice. Jesus... Was born into poverty. Great thinker Thabidian Abuye in his exposition of the book of Luke has this to say and he raises this question What does it mean that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, was born to a poor mother and family? He makes these observations One, that poverty is not sin, two, that poverty is not God's disapproval of an individual. Three that poverty does not prevent a person from worshiping God. You all were going somewhere. Po- four poverty does not necessarily doom a person to poverty forever. Five poverty does not ex- excuse unrighteousness. Six poverty is not shameful in and of itself. And seven poverty is a seven poverty is a cross that God entrusts to some people for a time. They they travel to Jerusalem to make this sacrifice. It goes on to say that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said this. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light, of revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. When Joseph and Mary and Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, to the temple, to dedicate Jesus, this man, Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, recognizes that this is the promised child, that God said he would send to bring deliverance to his people. Beloved, this is the context that we are introduced to the topic of what we want to talk about today, Anna. Read for you again what happens. It says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phineel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Anna was married for seven years. Seven years before the death of her husband. Who was she married to? We don't know. The Bible does not tell us. But what we do know is is that those seven years must have meant something to Anna. What hopes and expectations did she enter into that marriage with? Was her marriage good for those seven years? Were they difficult years? Was her husband loving? Was he kind? Did he pursue her? Did he care for her? Or was he a hard, wicked man that abused and mistreated her? We do not know. But what I do know is this. I have lived, loved, and led long enough to have seen wives bury their husbands, husbands bury their wives, children bury their parents, and parents bury their children. I've learned, as many of you, as Anna knew, that life doesn't always go as we anticipate it to. That life is filled with both beauty and brokenness that life has both joy and sorrow. The scripture tells us that she lived as a widow for 84 years. Contextually, this woman was probably over 100 years old. That means she spent the overwhelming majority of her life as a widow, not as a wife. I guarantee when she started out on her journey, she did not expect widow to be the defining term. I bet she thought that she would be a wife who built a home, who had kids and had laughter and life coming in and out of her home. Beloved, the definition of widow is a woman who has lost her spouse by death and has not remarried. It made me think of those turns in our lives that place labels on us that we never expect would be said about us. Those things that define the directions in our lives. I, I remember I remember being 20 years old, full of life and vigor, thinking I had the entire world in front of me. And I remember being in school, and at the time, I just I thought I... I was the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul, as the poem Invictus goes. And then I learned that I made a pretty terrible lord of my life. And I remember learning that I was going to be a father. At 20, 28 days after I turned 21 years old, I became a father. Now, if you would have asked me in my teens, that is not what I thought would have been a defining title that was given to me. I did not think that that would have been something at such a young age that would have set me on a certain path. But it did. I can recognize, just like Anna, when things go in unexpected ways. But let's pull back for a moment. As I was thinking about this, I thought about this woman who had seen so much life, a woman who had spent so much time as a widow. And I thought about the people in my life who I know are over 80 years old. Now, I don't know very many, but I do have a few that I can call, really one. I reached out to my wife's grandmother, Grammy, and we had a conversation the other day. And in that conversation, I asked her a question. I said, "Grammy." tell me how the world has changed. Now, Grammy's 85 years old. She's seen a lot of life. Grammy's 85. I said, tell me how the world has changed. And she was like, oh, that's a good question. I said, well, it's going to be good. And I just listened to her talk. A couple things came up. She started off by recalling her childhood. A woman born in 1938 in Mobile, Alabama, she said, now, I never, never saw my mother work outside the home, but I remember that my father worked every day in every way he could to provide for us. That he always made sure we had food on the table and we had a good place. We had clothes to wear. and They had a good place to go to school, Heart of Mary in Mobile. Grammy loves talking about Heart of Mary, but it was a good education that her father fought to give her. She also made this very profound statement. She said, yes, things change, but it's not so much that things change, it's people who change. And then people change things. Wait, that's deep. Let me sit in that for a minute. She talked about how times have changed and how people have changed. Now, this is a woman born in Mobile, Alabama, during the Great Depression, coming up during the World War II era. I don't, I don't know what that was like. But as I listened to her, I heard her speak about the different times in her life where she was so full of hope and different times in her life where she was so filled with pain. The opportunities... The setbacks, the people that she had loved and the people who loved her. Those who had hurt her and those she had been still praying for. There was a lot that I could learn from her, just like we have a lot that we can learn from Anna. So let me, let me jump into it. It's three things I want to focus on from the life of Anna as we look at how she stewarded her life and how she gave a gift to us and to generations to come. First thing is I want to focus on how Anna was caught up in the ways of God. She was caught up in the ways of God. The scripture says about her that she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. You all, Anna fell in love with God. I can only imagine her going to the temple and hearing the word of God preached. I can see her hearing the choir sing and the priest ministering on something like maybe the 27th Psalm. When David said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, Lord, my heart said to you, your face will I seek. And David ends with this. I can imagine what our heart must have felt in hearing this. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on I say, on the Lord. How her heart must have burned within her as she went back and forth to the temple, maybe as a young lady that grew older. But as her heart burned, those truths may have sunk deeper into her heart that she found out that God was better, that he's the father of the fatherless. He's a defender of widows and that he sets the lonely in families and brings out those who are bound into prosperity. And that God comforts those who mourn in Zion. He gives them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the prophet Isaiah said. These are words that she would have had with her in her day, things that would have comforted her heart and brought her into deeper relationship with the Father. Anna was caught up in the fellowship of the Father. I remember hearing Dr. Eric Mason, pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, say this one time. He said that his fear for the current generation was that they don't have a first love to go back to. Think about that. When God wanted to correct the church at Ephesus, he told them about all the good things they were doing, but then he corrected them on the fact that they had abandoned their first love. He says too many people who are following God now don't have a first love to go back to. They don't know what it's like to really enter into a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Beloved, one of the ways Anna's life set an example is that she showed what it meant to enter into a long-term love relationship with the Father. That is what so many in my generation and in our world need. They need to see people who walk with Jesus for decades. They need to see people who, when Jesus says, trust me, follow me, and takes hold of our hand, that he is faithful, and no matter what you go through, he will never let it go. I fell in love. It's, it, it, it's one thing when I stand up before you and I tell you as a 34-year-old that everything is going to be alright. It's another thing when an age 85-year-old hand grabs yours, looks you in your eye and say, baby, God's going to get you through it. It hit different. It moves your heart in a different way because she's been through everything that I've been through plus 50 years. Now, I know what the Great Recession is like. I don't know what the Great Depression is like. I know what 9-11 is like. I don't know what it looks like to have uncles and brothers storm the beaches of Normandy fighting against Nazi Germany and against fascism all over the world. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what, is li- I know what it's like to celebrate the highs of our societal change, but I don't know what it's like to see the vestiges of Jim Crow rooted out and things change over a generation. So when she tells me God is faithful, it means something different. Anna's faithfulness meant something different. Beloved, she gave herself to God. I have a quick question for you. Have you given yourself to God? Now, I'm not asking if you've said a prayer of salvation or if you joined a church. I'm asking, have you entered into a loving relationship with the Father? Have you fallen in love? Anna's life is a life of devotion. She gave herself to to God she fell in love and she was caught up in the ways of God. But not only that, but she was also caught up in the work of God. It says about Anna that she was a prophetess who served God night and day with fasting and prayers. Anna spent her time communing with God and ministering to people. Anna was a prophetess that that was her gifting and her position. She would declare the word of the Lord to others, telling them about the mighty works of God and sharing what was to come. Prophecy is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to people, but a prophet in the Old Testament time was a gift that God gave to his nation. Just like a prophet is a gift, current gift, that God gives to, Jesus gives to his church. Anna was a truth teller and a truth applier. She most likely was consulted to understand to better understand what God's will was concerning people, situations, and times. She cared for God's people with her gift. Beloved, there is nothing greater, nothing more soothing to the soul than the gentle application of truth from a mother. From someone who is skilled in the ways of caring for God's people. From someone who has been with the Father and now they use that gift to speak truth into your life. It's nothing more beautiful than a mother of the church who knows how to care for God's people well. Anna was close to God. She spent night and day Fasting and praying, she gave herself to intimacy with God. She knew she was a woman of worship and warfare. How many of you know that prayer and fasting aren't only spiritual disciplines that should be incorporated into the life of the disciple? They are also spiritual weapons given to the believer to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. Fasting is withdrawing from food, society, or other good acts for a season to quiet our hearts, minds, and souls before the Lord to focus on devotion, acts of justice, mercy, and love. It is when we pull away from the things that nourish us so that the Lord nourishes our body as our flesh, spirit, and souls are fully submitted to him. Fasting can help us hear God's Spirit clear and help us grow in spiritual strength. See Jesus being driven out by the Spirit into the wilderness by 40 days to be tested of the devil. And how he came back in the power of the Spirit. See Jesus' word as he comes down the Mount of Transfiguration and... There's a young demoniac there and his father brings him to the disciples and the disciples cannot cast the demon out. And Jesus cast the demon out as the crowds are coming. The disciples pull Jesus aside. Why could we not do that? And he says, something only come out through prayer and fasting. There's some things you can only do spiritually through submitting your full self to the Lord. Worship. Prayer and praise are acts of spiritual battle that strengthen our soul and remind us that God is greater. Beloved, in worship we remember that God inhabits the praises of his people. In worship we are invited to participate in subversion. When the flesh lies to us and tells us that we have been forsaken, worship invites us to remind ourselves that God is greater when this world creates systems that try to keep God out. Worship invites us that says He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and Omega and the beginning and the end. The first and the last. It reminds us of who He is. When the deceiver comes to lie in our ear, it reminds us that the seed of the woman has already crushed the head of the serpent. Beloved, worship Is warfare. She was also a woman of prayer. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, First of all, then I urge that petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Kent Hughes says in his exposition of the book of Timothy that if the gospel is slow in advancing in our age, it is because of the prayerlessness of the church. Beloved, prayer is communion with God. But it is more than that. It is spiritual warfare. In prayer, we bind and loose. We rebuke and bless. We intercede and we tarry. Anna was not only contending for herself day and night for the Lord, she was also contending for an unborn generation. Whenever I think about the Advent season and the Christmas time, I think about the work of God. I think about how God was doing all these miraculous things and playing on all these different levels. How he speaks to a priest named Zechariah. How he, how he, 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 he opens the womb of Elizabeth. I think about the people like Anna that God had praying. Now the intertestam- intertestamental time, the time between the testaments was, is known as the silent years. 400 years of silence. But, beloved, how many... That was because God wasn't doing what he was doing in the Old Testament. There were were no major prophets coming on the scene like they had done. But, beloved, how many of you all know that God wasn't silent? He was working in the life of this woman, Anna. He was working in the life of a man, Simeon, bringing about his purposes through their faithful prayers. Now, Think about this. I, I, Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He invites us to step into what he desires. Why? Because there is an adversary fighting against what God desires. So God has given Jesus all authority. Jesus is with us and he invites us in to participate in his work. Anna was invited to participate in the work of God. Think about as she's praying, God is shutting the mouth through an angel. He's shutting the mouth of Zachariah so he doesn't speak against the promises of God. He's opening the heart of a young girl named Mary so that when an angel appears to her, she said, whatever you want to do through me, you can do. I am your faithful servant. Anna is praying so when, when, when Joseph is wrestling on whether or not he should take this woman to be his wife, God speaks through a dream and say, hey, that baby is of me. Take this woman to be your wife. There was somebody praying for Mary, and she didn't even know it. There was somebody praying for Elizabeth and Zachariah and Joseph. When angels are ascending and descending to shepherds in the field, God is at work because somebody has been laboring before him. Beloved, do we see the interconnectivity of God's work in this world and in our lives? She was contending for a generation. She was contending for the promises of God. She was crying out for God's promises to be fulfilled. And finally, she was caught up in the will of God. Scripture says at that very moment when Simeon is holding this baby and making his great declaration, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him, Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman would have known that God had promised to send his Messiah, She probably also would have known that the Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon. These are two people in the same place doing the same thing. They knew each other. She would have known that God made that promise that he would see the Lord's Messiah before his death. So when Simeon is being led out, I bet she was wondering, where are you going? I'm going to follow him and see what God is doing. She was standing there, hearing this declaration being made. Beloved, she was a woman who could recognize the will of God. Do we, are we people who can recognize God's will in the lives of people, in situations, in situations, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God desires for his people to know his will. Anna offered her life as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God. She saw this as her spiritual act of worship. She could discern God's will. Beloved, our generation needs people who can see what God is doing, that can steward what God is doing. She saw and knew in that moment that it was her job to go out and speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption in Jerusalem. Beloved, there are people out there, people who need to know the hope, the joy, and the life that you have found in Jesus. Those who live in chaos externally and internally who are looking for peace. Some people are questioning their existence, and if life has any meaning, beloved church, you have the answer. I remember 20 years old, fast forwarding or rewinding, going back, sitting in my car, not knowing where my life was going, not sure what direction to take. I remember late, 2 a.m. in the morning, sitting out, and I had a conversation with God. Now, I'd gotten baptized at 11. I preached my first sermon about 12 or 13 it's a good sermon um, and I remember I had a moment with God I said God I don't know what it means to follow you i don't I don't know what it means to be a good Christian but if you give me something different then I'll follow you I was wrestling i'd heard so many sermons and messages in church and sitting out in that car I said you know if you're you're real like my mom say you are and if you're real like these people in church say you are and in that moment I felt the love the peace and the presence of God and I knew it did not come from me because I didn't have love for myself there are people who need to know God who loves them that no matter what mess we make of our lives he is able to bring beauty out of ashes that he can transform the heart Anna knew that so when she saw that God was doing a new thing she knew that she wasn't too old to get on board with it she said yes yes to God's will and she was willing to take the message that she had just been given and share it with everybody who was around. Beloved, she was stewarding the will and promises of God. She was willing to follow a new assignment even in her older age. Beloved, I, I want to I take a moment and I know we have people in here 60, 70, 80 years old, some younger, some maybe a little older. We have all types of people in here right now. I want you to think about your life. Think about the joy. Think about the sorrow. Think about the victories and some of the challenges that you face. What is God saying to you? What is he calling you to do? I know this, this church is, is embarked on a great journey of doing something new. New is not always easy. New can be hard. Change is challenging. When I was talking to my grandmother, she shared that change has been hard. That's scary. The things have seemed to be moving so fast that sometimes she doesn't feel like she can really keep up. And as I was listening to her, I realized that I don't listen enough I do th- to stop to think about someone else's perspective enough. But I think I have too many of the answers. Beloved, I want you to know that where you are matters. The fears that are in your heart, they matter. The love that is in your heart, they matter. The uncertainty, it matters. And I want you to see that God is inviting you into his work. That no matter what age you are, he's inviting you to fall deeper in love with him. That he's called you to steward his gospel in your generation and to be able to pass it off to the next. Beloved, we have so much to learn from Anna. I have so much to learn from you. Let's pray. Father, we come with hearts that are open. God, there may be some people in here right now, because of the challenges of life, they close their heart. God, I know what it's like to go through pain and you want to close your heart. We start to doubt your promises and that you're good. Anna could have identified with that, Lord. God, somebody needs to know that you haven't forgotten about them. Whether they've gone through the loss of a loved one. They've gone through broken dreams and broken promises. Whether things are changing too fast for them, God, and they don't know how to respond or what to do, Father. God, would you grant them the peace they need to follow you in this season of their lives? God, would we, as a people, fall deeper in love with you? seeing that you caught us up in a love relationship with yourself. That you have demonstrated your love, that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. As we sung about earlier, that you sent him to redeem us and to purchase us back. That you didn't only make us citizens of your kingdoms, you made us sons and daughters. Thank you, Father. God, there are some who are discouraged. Would you encourage the discouraged heart, Father? Would you silence the voice of the accuser? Would you open the hearts that have been closed, Father? Would people who have closed themselves off from your will and your plans and your purposes for whatever reason, whether it's age or too much pain or not enough understanding God, would they see that you're calling them to follow you in this new season? As David said, he would have lost heart unless he believed that he see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living God. We sung earlier that the goodness, your goodness is evident. God, there are some who need to say yes. Some who may have prayed a prayer, some who never prayed a prayer, but they've never been caught up in a love relationship with you. I pray, I pray that we would see this Redeemer that Anna spoke so clearly of. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of those like Anna who said yes to you in spite of difficult circumstances. God, we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our lives. And God, we say this. Let this be our cry. That we just want to do your will. In Jesus' name, pray.